Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Everyone, how you doing? I'm here with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of my best friends here on the Knowles 24-7 roundtable, mid-season-ish edition, right before the bye week. We thought it would be a good time to just corral all of these, just herd these cats of all these wonderful personalities, get them on one Zoom and try to hold their attention for 60 to 75 minutes. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Adam's already said that he's halfway in, so he is not showing championship-level effort. I am disappointed in my friend. Guys, it's been a ridiculous seven games. Are we good? I know we're doing a live stream right now. Are we waiting for some people to hop in, or we just want to just zoom right into this? I say we go. They can catch up. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to be getting a lot of input from the crew tonight. Well, listen, let's let's jump right into this. Florida State, 4-3. They start 4-0. They go 0-3. Weird. It's been a a strange. It's been up and down. It's been a roller coaster. And I want to talk about during this roundtable, there's some – it feels like the program's at a pivot point. Where's it going to go? Where's Mike Norvell's tenure going to go? And I think, honestly, based on the first seven games, there's a fair argument. Either way, it could go up or down. I think it has been more positive than negative, but we'll get to all that sort of stuff as we get through it. So, Brendan, I'll go to you first. A lot of people are focused on the portion of the rebuild that we're in. So there's all the Bobby Bowden tears. A lot of people like to use. You like to use them, actually. You're the one who wrote most of this question. Are we in the lose close to win close tier of the rebuild? Or maybe if anybody else after Brendan wants to describe it in another term, like how far away is this team from competing for like conference and other types of championships? But Brendan, you go first. Where do you think we are right now in the rebuild? So I think at this point you're building, you're not quote unquote rebuilding, uh, I think you've done the gutting and and the revamp portion of this construction. You've set a foundation. Now you're just trying to see like what what the house is going to actually look like. You're building it up. So in, in terms of like where we are with the the Bobby Bowdenism, you know, first you lose big, then you lose small, then you win small, and then you win big. I do think this team is in win small mode and I know it doesn't feel that way after the last three weeks in which you, you lost small three weeks in a row, uh, but you do have two win smalls and 
I think people assume that that means that you're just going to uh, win close games over and over again. Like I don't think that's exactly what it means. I think it means winning record, playing in a lot of close games, and that's kind of where this team's at. And, and I think it sets up the back half of the season to have more wins than losses. Uh, but but yeah, right now, like this is probably what win close feels like, where there's really encouraging moments and there's some discouraging ones where you feel like you let some stuff get away. Uh, like you alluded to, Trey, it's just weird that you start off feeling really good with four in a row, then you know, three losses in a row. It's not really typically, you know, th- this kind of uh, right. See, swinging back and forth isn't isn't typical. And Cluster, Trey, you this... asked about mm-hmm. well, you, the second half of that question, FSU getting back to championship level. Yeah, I mean the key there is getting more talent on the roster. Recruiting is key to all of that. They they have to continue to upgrade here. They have to get better depth, which is an issue that has shown itself this year for them. If they're a healthier, deeper team, they probably have another win under their belt than they currently do. Um, but yeah, for them to continue to escalate this program, progress in the right manner, recruiting is going to be a crucial part of that. And that's both through the portal and the high school ranks. And development is also a key part. And I think this group has shown that they're pretty effective at developing guys who are willing to buy into what they're doing. I'm with you there, Chris, and I think you have a really good frame of reference for this program. You have covered championship-level teams. The development's there, and I think we can all agree to it, especially this year. Talent-wise, how far are they off? Are we talking about a potential ACC title team next year, given a top, like, 15? Just stop with the baseball, Adam Brown. Are we talking like a like like maybe a year off with a with a top fifteen ish level recruiting class and a and a really solid group of seven transfers or is it longer than that? Well, a huge piece of that puzzle is the quarterback position. Uh, does Jordan Dra- Travis stay? Does he go? He's been in college a long time. I'm not saying he's a first round NFL draft pick. So calm down, comment section. Um, <laughs> They're inflamed. Yeah. They're inflamed right now. But uh, you know it. If he comes back, they're in a very good position in the sense that they have an extremely veteran quarterback who's an effective playmaker who understands exactly what they're trying to accomplish, and the pieces around him continue to get better, as we saw this year with the receiver room being upgraded, so on and so forth. O-line, you would presume, continues to progress in a positive manner. And on the defensive side of all, you just got to get better. You got to have more playmakers. You got to have a better secondary you can rely upon. I I think there are ways off, personally. Um, Okay. It still goes through Clemson in this league. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. FSU has been competitive with Clemson the last few years, more so this year than last year. In my opinion, last year kind of they kept close, uh, largely due to Jermaine Johnson, you know, seven points put on the board by him. And Clemson wasn't as good last year as I would say they are this year. But it still goes through Clemson. And you look at Clemson's talent. Zach made this point on our last pod on the bench. You look at Clemson's talent, look at FSU talent. There's a healthy gap there. Now, do I think FSU can close that gap? Yes. Do I think they close that gap to the point where they can surpass them? I still think there's a lot of work to be done there. Anybody else think we're a little bit closer than Chris here on the stream? Don't worry. Chris isn't going to jump through if you have a different opinion. Does anybody else think we're a little bit closer due to kind of like the development and uh, some of the coaching effect that Mike Norvell and his staff have? Or do you guys all agree we're still a couple years-ish away from being the big dogs of the ACC? Go ahead. You, you go first, Kev. Yeah. Uh, the big dogs is, is a different question. Do I think this team in a year or two will have enough talent to be able to steal a game against Clemson and run run the table the rest of the way? I, I definitely think that they're in, they're kind of in a position for that to happen. Um, 
it, it still feels a little bit like Clemson is is relying on having having a really good quarterback play. And I, I think Florida State's building a solid base. I think in in two years, if Atkins is still around, Florida State's gonna have one of the better offensive lines in the country. And the way that Mike Norvell is able to scheme up a running game and consistently develop running backs, I I, I think it's gonna be really difficult to stop Florida State's offense in two in two years when um this this running game is up and going when the offensive line is fully developed. So I, I think they're they're still a couple one or two years off from being in that like maybe if they steal one game they shouldn't they can sneak into the ACC championship and beat whatever team the coastal has to offer but um yeah I, I don't think they're they're terribly far away from being able to beat everybody not named Clemson the ACC remember well, that divisions are going yeah. away too that's true. yeah so you're going to play the true number two which could ultimately be Clemson you could play Clemson during the regular season and then turn around and play them again in the yep. title game, if I'm if, if I'm right, Chris, I correct me if I'm wrong there, but yeah, it's the top two. It's yeah. gonna be the top so, two. So one loss team with that loss being to yeah. the other opponent of the game. Yeah. yeah. I I think Florida State's a little bit closer than, than I think Chris was saying. I was watching Brendan's face and I I was curious because I thought Very Brendan was expressive a little up bit. top. Well, he's always uh, got, got that perma smirk on his face. Up there it's, out of it's just his I, I don't face. know. I'm not used it's to that from him. Yeah. I almost thought I saw an eye roll. I'm not sure what's going on up there. But I think, barring, you know, depending on quarterback play, you know, if Klubnik, if he's not what they need him to be, if he's not a, a, a Trevor Lawrence or that caliber quarterback, what really, or even what DJ's been for them this year which I think is a little bit different because DJ's been so effective running the football for them. Um, if Klubnik is a step back from that caliber, I think Florida State could be right there because I do think that they're making good progress on the front on, on the front with the offensive line. I think next year you've got a chance to go steal it from them, though, truthfully. Um, they're going to lose a ton of guys, potentially. I mean, those guys, we've seen them return all these first-round talents in the past, so I guess it's, the potential's there for mm. it to happen. But I think you have an opportunity next year if you get your guys back to go in there and compete with them, and, and truly compete for four quarters. Uh, you know, if verse comes, if you get verse back, if JT were to return, something like that. Um, I, I think next year you could be competing with them for the conference. Is that you know is the longevity going to be there? I don't know if you necessarily could say that yet. I think again, a lot of it's going to depend on what uh, Cade Klubnik is for them. Yeah, and I think it's, too, that we're all kind of talking about being the class of the conference is stealing a game from Clemson as a year. I think sort of to Chris's point as well, will they have the depth to hold up against every single game in the conference? Because you're losing to Clemson, but you're also losing to NC State. You're losing to Wake. You haven't gotten these consistent conference winning streaks. So I think the depth is off. And I think there's good arguments for both sides. Like, for example, the advanced stats, they love Florida State. They've been leaders in yards per play. I don't know if every single game of the season, but in these past three losses, Brendan nodding his head, they have been the yards per play leader every single year. Um, and they have close to or a top 25 offense or defense. So Dane Draper, what do you make of that? Do you think that four and three is an accurate reflection of Florida State's record? And if so, I mean, if not, do you think that it should be better or worse? Yeah, I mean, I think clearly it should be better. Like, Brendan wrote a great story uh, showing how what the top the nine teams in the country that have uh, higher yards per play than the team they've played every single game of those nine teams, what, they're 50-3 and three in combined record versus Florida State. That's 
four and three, obviously they just played a really tough schedule. You've played three, the last three teams you've played are the three best teams on the schedule so far. And, uh, and you've lost all those games. Um, and they've all been competitive too, pretty competitive, especially in yards for play. Obviously you've, uh, had a better average than them, but I think it also has to do with like, in the context of the games, like you are really good at popping explosive plays, which is going to boost that average. And you're uh-huh. also really good at limiting explosive plays, which is going to obviously limit the average of the other team. I think that's something that's probably not talked about enough, but I mean, you're also you're not definitely running not... a ton of plays. Like the, the actual, yeah. the actual number isn't as much as you would like. And then I think Chris made this point in the last on the bench, a lot of long fields, which obviously you're going to eat up yards. It's still impressive to sustain those type of drives, but it's the advanced stats are very helpful. It doesn't feel like Florida state's playing the most efficient brand of football. As far as like complimentary, the offense is not complimenting the defense whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, and I think on defense, like I think on both sides of the ball, you're, you're much more, you're much better at like on defense, you're much better at limiting explosives than you are limiting efficiency. And on offense, you're much better at getting those explosives than you are being efficient. So you're not sustaining drives all that well on offense. Mm-hmm. But when you do uh, rattle off, like you're saying, you don't get many plays in a game or as many plays as maybe you'd like if you were if you're more efficient in sustaining drives, but you are explosive. So your, your yard for play is always pretty high. Brett, what do you think? You're a sparkling ray of sunshine, and I wish I could hear your voice more on some of these auditory channels. But guess what? You're here with me, and you're my boy, so we're riding or dying together. So what do you think, Paul Walker? Is Florida State a 4-3 and team, or they should be better or worse? I think they should be 5-2, and just based on that NC State game and and how they let it get away. But, I mean, they have two one-score losses and and two one-score wins. I mean, that Louisville game could have gone either way, too, it felt like. and um, But that NC State one is the one for me that, like, you look back on and it's really frustrating. I mean, other than that, Wake Forest and Clemson both just felt like better teams than Florida State. So I think they should be at 5-2. and two. Um, Four and three isn't that far off, though, I don't think either, but just based on the teams they've played. But I don't think there's many teams that have had uh, a harder stretch, a harder three-game stretch in a row like FSU had these last three. Yeah, a, a nightmare stretch with an ungodly amount of clustered injuries. Zach Blostein, always with the freshest of spectacles. The impact of injuries. Let's just say that Fabian Lovett and Bless Harris were still playing for this team consistently. What was, what was Florida State's potential record based on the team that we saw against LSU what do you think like the best case scenario for this team's record could have been without all of those injuries just clustered together at the worst possible time? Yeah, I'd probably say um, the best case scenario, I think like you lose one of Wake or Clemson, regardless of having any of those injuries, because I do think those teams are just better teams than FSU, even if you have Bless and Fabo back, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but but having Fabo in a game like Wake Forest, where you desperately needed to create pressure uh, with that annoying slow mesh stuff that, that they love to do. Um, like FSU just struggled so much with that. And having him on the inside would have just been so great on the defensive line. And who knows, you know, how how he impacts the score of that game um, and, and whether um, he's able to kind of sustain Wake a little bit in the first half after they explode for like, I think, 28, 21 points or 28 points in the first half. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I think I, I would probably go six and one 
Um, if you, that, that's your, that's your ceil my ceiling. If, if they have everyone, um, you know, fully healthy, just that I look back at that Louisville game and man, they got, they got, they kind of got crushed just with, uh, you know, J Trav obviously made it back the next week. Um, but, but, but losing Fabo even before that in the LSU game, and then, you know, the other guys that kind of got banged up, you know, whether they were on the field and participating, Malcolm Ray, for instance, like we know he's like still like dealing with that, you know, whatever the injury is, like he's still going through that and that might be affecting his play negatively. Um, but that's not something that you, you know, he's going to go out and say. Um, so just, yeah, I think, I think if you have a fully healthy team, you, I think you beat one of Wake or Clemson. That, that would be my projection. We're talking about Fabian Lovett and Bless Harris because I think those are the, the duh, you know, the most obvious ones. Any other injury that you guys are looking at that actually impacted this team with way more significance that that hasn't been talked about as much? Because it wasn't just those two; there were other injuries. Any other injuries that were particularly damning to the team, in y'all's uh, opinion? A lot of it's just kind of death by a thousand paper cuts, Trey. Like you don't lose Jarrett Jackson for I think more than one game, but he's not playing at hundred percent. When you add that on to Malcolm Ray, not playing a hundred percent, Robert Cooper, not playing at a hundred percent and missing most of that NC state game. Uh, in addition to Fabian Lovett, like then you're, yeah, you're eating into the depth of what's supposed mm -hmm. to be the strongest position group on the team. Uh, Maury and Cooper not being a hundred percent early in the year and kind of always playing catch up. Like is another one. I don't think Jamie Robinson's at a hundred percent. Uh, Akeem Dent wasn't at 100% in preseason camp, and I get it. Like midway through the season, like no one's feeling great right now. But you have all these little injuries that maybe aren't making you miss a ton of games, but are adding up when it comes to practice time, to feeling good when you're. You know. One thing I learned from covering the team last year, like being at every single practice, is if you're feeling good and you're practicing consistently, then that's going to lead to better production in games. And I think late last year, they're they're what was it, five and three finish of the year, they had a lot of good injury luck to the end of the season. And I think that is something that you're hoping for after the bye week now. But like all those little injuries have, have added up to to probably cost you a game, maybe like the NC State one, for example. Yeah, and there's multiple guys that I didn't mention. Jared Verse hasn't been as healthy as you'd want him to be. He's your best pass rusher. Robert Scott, your best offensive lineman, has been banged up, obviously missed some action. Darian Williamson was starting to get it in gear. He gets hurt. Jackson West, a guy who probably would have helped the depth a little bit at tight end, has been yeah. unavailable. So the list goes on and on. There's been a lot, and everybody has injuries, and it's bad, but FSU's luck's been especially bad. And now Treshawn Ward's joined that list as the walking wounded, and he's been <sighs> FSU's best, most consistent back, arguably the best offensive player week to week to week. And the DB room's been abysmal, but they've also had a lot of guys that have been dinged up throughout the course of the year. I mean, do Cooper misses, you know, his maybe doesn't, he's, he's missed at least one game. Uh, he hasn't looked right all season. It's documented that he was injured in the preseason. Uh, I would say that that's an injury right there. It's impacting you pretty big right now because you don't outside of Renardo green, who's playing his best. You, you don't have a guy who can go out and lock up another receiver right now. Um, you don't even have a guy who's consistent outside of him, yeah, I would say. Yeah, so, Not even talk about lockdown. I don't even think you have any consistency, really. Now, yeah, so with the struggles of that position, I mean, I, I think just looking at all those guys, um, you know, that they, they're all fighting their own ailments, and it seems like it's impacting them to the most, for the most part. And the only reason I say that with the injuries is because I think with a fully healthy team, which 
the country, most of the country is not having that either. I do think that it would shade the perception of where Florida State as is in this building program and what their true potential actually is. But I'm glad you did that, Adam. I didn't even let you know. It's a good segue because my next question was going to be about some of the more surprising and positive developments and some of the more disappointing developments. I want everybody here to raise their hand if their most disappointing development through the first half of the year is the play of the defensive backs. Who thinks that? Good for okay. the podcast audience. That's right. It's, basically, it's, it's once again, Brendan, chill out for five seconds. It's everybody <laughs> podcast audience. Jesus, get the just keep the anxiety in your little box right now. Let me drive. Now listen, everybody raise their hand. Kevin, do you think that the poor play of the secondary is mainly due to all those injuries that everybody referenced or something deeper? So what's kind of funny is how clear it is to everybody how the secondary is what's holding this team back, despite the fact that the, their passing numbers really aren't aren't bad. They, they might be some of the best numbers on, on the defensive side of the ball. And what's happened is it seems like preseason that the coaching staff made a made a decision that they were going to install this defense based off the assumption that they could trust the defensive line, but they couldn't trust, trust the cornerbacks. Um, and so you see a lot of the two high safeties. You see a lot of um, kind of playing that conservative shell and hoping that you can win up front. And because of injuries, they just haven't been able to do that. And uh, so they've been getting more and more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball. And that's showing why they were trying to protect the corners in the first place. Um, I, I, I think it's a disappointment uh, in the secondary. I think we were all kind of weary about what you had there, but I mean, what Kevin Knowles and, uh, and Marion Cooper have kind of given you this season isn't getting it done, to be frank. No, and you could see why they spent so many resources in the offseason just trying to acquire depth at that position. Chris, what do you think the reason is? Because when I hear about the DB play, I hear about limiting explosives. But what is really telling to me and goes back to the non-complimentary, poor situational kind of cloud hanging over this team they're not getting any takeaways. Maybe Chris and Adam, if you want to jump into, how do you get? How do you? How do you generate takeaways on defense? Just for the a big dumb layman like myself, why? <laughs> why isn't Florida luck. State getting that? Yeah, there is a luck component. That's fair. To be clear with that, but it comes down to every phase working together. Uh, your your DBs are allowed to be a little more gamble happy when your rush is better, when your pass rush is there, where it's creating a little bit more havoc consistently. Take the Clemson game, for example. FSU created four negative plays in total in that game, three sacks. That's just not enough. Uh, the sacks are fine. FSU's actually been a, a, an effective team at generating sacks. At generating negative plays, it's been a little bit of a yo-yo this year where it just hasn't been good enough. The other issue is that the play's just not good in the secondary. You take Cooper, mm-hmm. it, it's less than it was a year ago. You take Kevin Knowles, it's less than it was a year ago from the same exact guy. That's just not a good thing. There shouldn't be a regression. I know sometimes sophomore slumps and things of that sort happen, but there's been a lot of that. Jamie Robinson's been good. He hasn't been all ACC good, though, and that's not a knock on the young man. It's just that's sort of what was expected of him going into the year. He was thought of in that regard entering the season. Akeem Dent had a horrendous game against Clemson. He essentially mm-hmm. got benched. Shaheen Brown stepped in and actually played pretty well. That was a bright spot among that group, but it's just – there's nobody making big plays. People are making plays in the sense of keeping things in front of them and ending plays, 
but nobody's making a play that goes above and beyond. And it's it's a component of all of it. If the pass rush is better, it makes life easier on the secondary. If the secondary once in a while is in the hip pocket and plays a 50-50 ball and wins it, that's awesome. FSU last year offensively could not win a 50-50 to save their life. I feel like it's it's switched over to defense this year where we just so rarely ever win a 50-50. Wake Forest, a great team at winning 50-50, so it's not a huge deal. But they won every 50-50, it felt like. Clemson, back shoulder fade, easy. When Clemson wanted to go perimeter on FSU early in that game, they took what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's just disappointing to see. It's like FSU can't do anything currently to counter that. I don't know if there's a way for them to pivot here seven eight or seven games into the season going into their eight to fix that issue. I'm just not convinced of it. And Adam, do you think it's technique or is it effort? Because I see the technique and you and I and Kevin, we always talk about, especially you, you wish they'd play, they'd be more aggressive. You wish they'd play a little press more. I think it, obviously I think that's a component to me. One of the biggest components of just the mentality of the Florida state defense, sometimes letting the play come to them was that huge special teams return with Will Shipley. And that wasn't yeah. defense, but that was a ton of those defensive backs that we have issues with letting the play come to them and hoping that somebody else would make it. So is it effort, technique, and which of those two things can be cleaned up middle of the season? Kev, Kev shared the stat with me earlier today. Florida State's 105th in the country in missed tackles on the season. That's gross. That, that, that makes you want to throw up all over yourself. Um, that, that can't happen. And they were really good last year at it. So it doesn't make a lot of sense of why they've become so poor. Um, I think it leads to effort. I think it leads to guys, potentially, we've talked about the injuries. I think if you're not in practice practicing tackling, you're not getting better at it. And it is one of those things that can go away quickly. Um, and we know they've been banged up on that side of the ball. I think that that is an explanation for it to, to some extent. Um, I, I think – yeah. Can it be fixed, to, bud? I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to be kind here. So, don't, don't be that kind. It's okay. Nobody's no, 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 no. I'm going to try to be a little bit kind here because I don't think it's 100% fair because we don't always know what's going on in people's heads. But I, I think that there's a technique issue. Um, I talked to a few DB coaches, uh, you know, they're in the business. They're not always impressed with what's going on with Florida State's corners. Um, in what way? Uh, there's technique wise, they don't love the footwork. They don't love, they just don't love the general technique all, all around. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to go into sure, crazy detail because I don't think that that's fair, but um, I, I don't think that there's attention to detail there all the time. And I think it shows up on the field and that's a concern. I mean, you've got guys making the same mistakes in year three that they were making in year one. That's, that's a problem, right? Uh, for that position group. Um, you know, when Akeem Dent's coming in tackling with his head down, in game seven, that should have been fixed by now. That, that, that's an issue. Um, you know, Kevin Knowles getting blocked by a tight end on a, on a, on a uh, you know, on a flare to the flat. That, that's going to happen. Kevin Knowles is what, five, five, nine, 170 pounds. He's yeah. going to get blocked by tight ends. I, I, I'm not going to knock him for that, but like, you just want a little bit more. You feel like there's a little bit more that can be given there. Um, you know, recognition wise, you feel like there's some more creating turnovers. A lot, a lot of that is about forcing on defense. We don't force on defense. We catch everything. We, we, yeah. we catch everything on defense. And I think Kev, Kev feels like he's itching to jump in here. So I, I want to hear what he thinks also, but well, it, it just feels like this defense is all about waiting to the red zone, not being an attacking mindset and, I mean, we've talked about it for weeks in, 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 on the outside. 
how passive their man coverage is. And it just feels like the defense in general is just passive. Well, and I think it's one of these things too, where it's so glaring is because we've seen Kevin Knowles, Duke Cooper and Akeem Dent perform better than they have right now. So I, I, they have the potential, but Kevin, do you have anything you want to add before I'm going to get to optimism guys? Just we're going to get there. Kevin, do you have anything you want to add? Well, I was just going to, I was just going to ask AB if he thinks that they're going to go to more of like a, a big nickel look where you put maybe another, you maybe bring Jamie down into the box, put him at nickel. Maybe you get a, like one of these safeties. Who's not afraid to hit somebody down kind of closer to the action. I think it depends on the matchup, right? Um, yeah. I mean, ob- obviously. So against the Syracuse, it might make some sense, even though they line that the uh, number 19 up. I can't think of the kid's name, but, they line him up in the slot quite a bit and get him matched up on guys. There was a whole lot of talk before the season about moving Jamie around and Jamie being a big, you know, kind of multi-tool and he him doing a lot of different things. We haven't seen that. Now you and saw game a, one. There's been a knock on his game. So, Go ahead, Chris. On the point of Jamie, I think it's because they truly haven't playing a safety of safety options. Yeah, the yeah, last yeah. line of defense. Right. Yeah. Instead of allowing yeah, him to and, go into his tool bag and be what he is. Right, right. I agree. They've been forced to do that because their corner play has just been so abysmal. They can't trust anybody out there to not get beat down the field. And it's forced them to play Akeem and to play Jamie, you know, deep pass most of the football game. And when they've creeped up, they've gotten killed with it. Jamie's been out of position when he's been forced to come in the box. We saw it against Clemson. Akeem's been out of position when he's been forced to come in the box. We saw it against Clemson. It's been a problem when they've had those guys come up but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you're going to have to probably play some Shaheem. You're going to have to mix him in there. I wouldn't be afraid to give Greedy Vance a look in there. He's a long athlete. Um, yeah. I don't I don't love him as a corner. I don't think I don't think his skill set has been something that's like, oh, you got to get him on the field. But you've got to try something different. And what's nice is you've got a bye week now. You get an opportunity to go back to coaching fundamentals. You get a chance to sit down and look at your practice plan do some self-scouting and say, okay, we failed here, 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 and here so far in the first seven games. We can try and clean these things up and correct these things. And I mean, I hope that that's what's going on because that's what a bye week is really good for is getting back to the basics. So Kevin Knowles has 17 tackles on the season, 11 solo tackles. He has 13 missed tackles. That's teams targeting a dude. They figured it out. They're going to go pick on him. Absolutely. All right, let's go to, Let's go to the other I, side of the coin. Could I, You're making, could I, me indigestion. Yeah, go ahead. Can I on the parade, please? Just one more. Just to go ahead. Just add to the pile. Yeah, go ahead. On the secondary, because what we're saying, some of this is just our, uh, from watching it, opinions, but mm-hmm. numbers here are telling. Uh, there yeah. are 927 defensive backs who have played at least 100 snaps at the FBS level. Oh, God, this is going to be bad. I can already tell, man. <laughs> when you go to 927, it's I don't know why. Be. I don't like that you had to go all the way that down. Yeah. Someone with better at math than me can talk about percentile here. FSU has three defensive backs who have a passer rating uh, that is ranked in the 700s or worse uh, among that. And two of them are cornerbacks, Duke Cooper at 776 nationally. And this is tough because we all think highly of him, but this is kind of you know the growing pain. Cesaria Thomas at 904th out of 927 defensive backs for passer rating when targeted. Akeem Dent at 734. So not- Thomas's Thomas's problem isn't isn't skill set. It's the fact that he still hasn't picked up very basic parts of the defense, and it's why you haven't seen him be played until game six. 
yeah, yeah. there's still communication issues, but Which that is, is a problem it, in and it, of itself. It's almost it's it's almost a miracle that they limit explosive plays as much as they do, even though they are giving up the extremely high success rate. Anyway, moving on to the other side of the coin, Brett, <laughs> be my ray of sunshine. What's a promising development that has really surprised you in these first seven games? Link Jarrett's love of the new turf. Yeah, for sure. But uh, <laughs> I just I think I think the depth they have at wide receiver now compared to where they were the last couple of years. I mean, Huge. it's just miles apart now. I mean, they actually have like four guys they can rely on in that room. And I think there'd be more guys if all those guys were healthy. I mean, like someone we didn't mention earlier with injuries was Ja'Kai Douglas missing six games. And I think that gets downplayed a good bit. I know Dane likes him a lot. And I just think he's a lot different than anyone else in that room. Um, and I mean, Darian too getting hurt and obviously – uh, Winston hasn't played yet, but overall, I think that room, the depth in that room is, is just completely different than what it's been in the past few years. What about you, Zach? Any other, like a promising development from you? And I think that that's great too, Brett, and especially the most productive dude that you scooped up in the off season, Winston Wright hasn't even played a snap for you yet. So I thought the production that they got from no doubt their worst position unit last year with the wide receivers, one of the worst position units in the entire conference out of any of them is now become an actual asset for you, if not a big weapon. Zach, what about you? What, what, what's something that's promising? This is it's still got a little bit of a dark cloud. Just, just swipe that away from me. These guys are really, these guys are really being pessimistic. Not the guy to go to for optimism. Oh, you I'm can do it. What are you talking about, Brendan? Dig deep, um, deep, brother. I love the FSC's running back room this year. Um, Treshawn Ward goes down before the Clemson game. They don't have him available. And what do they do? They go put up over 200 yards. Um, with, with Lawrence Toffoli and Trey Benson. So, like, going into the year, like, I, we were all pretty high on Trishon Ward, and, and we saw, you know, spurts from from Lawrence Toffoli last season. Um, but just to, to, to gamble on Trey Benson like they did, not, you know, he didn't have much production at all at the collegiate level um, and, and obviously had the injury history, and he comes in here and he's been, you know, pretty productive for FSU so far. Um, just, yeah, I, the, the running game was not expected to be a weakness, but it's definitely been a huge strength uh, for this team. Dane, you have watched this team all throughout the preseason, all through the season. What is something that translated very well from all those preseason practices? And what's something that hasn't translated well? Like what surprised you as far as FSU's, like what they worked on in the preseason and what they've shown during these first seven games? I think, I mean, Jordan Travis sure looked really good in the preseason, man. Um, and, you know, we kind of expected him to be a lot better than, than he has been in the past. He's kind of linearly just gotten a lot better in his time here. Um, but another guy, I think, I think like Johnny Wilson in the spring or not in the spring, uh, more in the fall, he got so much better um, than in the spring. He started to get really consistent up toward the beginning of the season. And then we really seen that in the season. I think those are, I think he's a big guy worth noting there. Like it wasn't a total shock that he was more consistent in games because we had seen him get pretty consistent in practices. And it was quite the jump too, man. Come back here for the donk. Shout out big Ronnie <laughs> D. Um, Brendan, what's something that Florida State's done for these first seven games that you really want to see them carry over to these next five? A pleasant surprise that would be great if you can keep adding to it and that's the pass rush it's been much better than anticipated without having to blitz a ton uh jared verse has exceeded expectations we thought he'd be pretty good but when healthy i mean he's a guy who's averaging 
a sack a game, but it was just the guys around him too. Like Patrick Payton coming on, it's been great. Uh, Leonard Warner having a pulse and being someone who's confident. Like that's, that's house money you're playing with. Derek McClendon's been solid. So the edge group has been good. If you get Fabian Lovett into the fold, you haven't seen him since LSU. All of a sudden you're talking about a pass rush that has again, been solid so far against a, your best stretch of offenses that you're going to face this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden it becomes maybe not just a, like a, like a strength, but an actual like forcing unit, like where you're starting to create some of the havoc that we've been talking about FSU missing. You can start generating turnovers, pressuring quarterbacks, start dictating terms a little bit more. That's something that's shown up early on in the season to an extent in terms of just being good up front. Um, Now you can kind of start imposing your will a little bit that can start leading to actual wins and creating havoc and, and all that good stuff schematically is there anything that you guys have seen from them in their wins or maybe some things that they did well in their losses either either on offense or defense that you really want to see in these five games go ahead first guy who talks gets to say something i can read ab's mind right now it's mike i know look at those big old pie eyes of his come on i can see it but i I agree with him i I, it's it's a nice little bag of tricks that you can do in the rpo game you make the end pick whoever the end picks the other guy gets the ball or the guy with the ball makes a play. It's it's not complicated. It fits what they're trying to be. I'm also a big fan of just run the damn ball. But go ahead, A.B. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys are on the same wavelength. I'm glad your squares are together here on the video cast. Adam, what do they it's got not, do? It's not as much. I don't think you can go backwards now. You really expanded the playbook against Clemson. You brought out this trip. It wasn't really completely triple option stuff, but they, they ran it once package with the pistol somewhat. It was somewhat, but they ran some screens and stuff off of it. Yeah. They, they did. A, you expanded your package. <laughs> Look, you had to laugh at your own. Sorry, Trey. Somebody God. had to laugh. I knew Brendan you was going to Oh no, I don't laugh at, I don't no, laugh at I, Wiener I was stuff try, anymore. Yeah. I was trying boy. to be a professional and didn't want everyone to think I was going to laugh because y'all knew I was going to. They expanded the offensive playbook against Clemson. Yeah. It was and huge. it feels like they've been holding on to some of those things. It wasn't package. just game plan specific. We've complained against NC State. We complained somewhat against Wake Forest that the playbook gets limited once they get into the game plan. They don't always have a lot of answers. It's proven in the third quarter. They're abysmal offensively in the third quarter of games. Uh, we were talking, there's a good threat on the board. I started about the um, the FSU offense. There's a lot of great commentary in there from, from a lot of different people. Uh, the FSU offense in the third quarter is really, really bad. I don't have it pulled up in front of me here, right here. I wish I could give you the exact number, but it's very bad in the third quarter. I think a lot of that is because they go into a game with a specific game plan and a, and a small focus of plays that they want to run and be good at when they get into the third quarter, they don't have a ton of adjustments. I felt like against Clemson, you had answers upon answers upon answers. It felt like the playbook opened up. I, I do not want to see Mike, go backwards and tighten things up again for whatever reason. Keep expanding, keep building. These guys can, this offense is proving that it can handle it. You've got playmakers out wide. You've got an offensive line that if given opportunities, they showed against a great front can block people. If teams are going to give you two high safeties, you've got to be able to run the football with some trickery. But I mean, really they lined up and ran outside zone down Clemson's throat. And that was impressive to me. Um, but expanding upon that playbook, keeping it big and robust, 
Keep going. No. Okay. Keep (laughs) keeping it, keeping it, expanding upon it. I think you're going to keep putting pressure on defenses. And frankly, this offense is going to have to win you some games down the stretch because I don't have a lot of faith in the defense to go out and get you wins. I'm with you, man. And it was kind of funny because I thought that a lot of the praise that we had for that LSU game plan in particular, the first couple drives, they introduced some concepts yeah. that they continue to build off of later in the game. And I feel like during the middle stretch, specifically Wake and NC State, I thought that they got away from that a lot and focused on routes and route concepts that Jordan was comfortable with. And they ran them to death. Clemson was getting back to form, in my opinion. I'm with you. Carry that on. Kevin. What are either some things schematically or tendencies or just something that Florida State totally needs to scrap that you saw a lot in the first seven games that just needs to go away in these last five? Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily that there's much that I I think should be scrapped more than retooled. Yeah, so I I think you'd like to see the defense kind of maybe go back to more that cover four that they ran a lot of last year. It allows Jamie Robinson and Akeem Dent to kind of be more box safety. So in more of a cover two look, they're going to be 15 yards off and kind of capping everybody. In cover four, they're they're kind of more in the box. They're they're able to be more part of the of the run game. You can kind of mix up some different blitzes, some different looks with them there. Um, it's easier to roll down to cover three and kind of give different looks. And I think the the concern with cover four is always that you'll be be beat over the top. So like mm-hmm. if you go watch NC State versus Florida State last season, early on, NC State ran what's called a Mills concept, where they uh, ran one guy one guy kind of intermediate, another guy deep, and you get a one on one with the safety with a corner out there, and it's an easy touchdown if you don't have corners. And I I, I don't I don't think you want to run that against NC State against uh, Devin Leary, but against you know. Garrett Schrader Jeff, or against Jeff Sims. Jeff Sims, you might want to challenge him to th- throw it deep and have those safeties play in a spot where they they can be them. You know where Jamie Robinson is 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 a cover four safety. Let him play cover four. I like that. Rapid fire stuff, guys. And you've got I'm telling you, stream of consciousness. Just throw it out of your head. Maybe like five words or less on why you think that. Maybe six if I like you, Zach. Luckily, I do like you. So you're up first. Who is your MVP of the first seven games of the season? Go. Um, Rapid fire. Johnny I'm Wilson. Okay. Johnny Wilson. Sorry. I like it. Why? Quick, though. He's been your much. most productive receiver, and he's a great threat in the offense. Huge, Mike. And you follow direction superbly. <laughs> Brett Nevitt, we're going to be talking about high school recruiting here, and you told me not to ask you anything <laughs> about that. So you're next. Who's your MVD? Who's your most valuable defensive player? Jared Burst, if he's healthy, because he completely changes that defense. I think it, just to, to talk about Jared Burst's game, we knew the athleticism was going to translate. I've been surprised by the power that kid has, man. He is just demolishing and bulldozing guys. Shout out to our Greek friend, John Pepuchis. Uh, big fan, big fan of his stuff. Dane, who is your most improved player for Florida State? Um, Josh Farmer. I think that's a good answer. I mean, uh, he's a freshman last year. <laughs> I'm glad you but... have confidence in your own answer. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. I like. Yeah. I don't know. Like, how does that even count? He's a freshman last year, but I mean, he's he's by the end of this year, he's he's going to be so improved. You know, from where he was coming coming off 
that time last year. I think that's that's definitely a guy. I think you know. I think Pokey Wilson. I want to change my answer because oh Pokey no, now Wilson, you got a worse answer. I liked your first uh, answer better. No, I'm just kidding. They're both. Well, he's such, such a, a veteran. You Where's thought you really know what you had. He's a lot more than six words, Dane. Oh, well, he doesn't he's been very consistent. Directions. More consistent than we expected, I'd say. I thought so you got similar. a lot. You got a lot more out of him than what you thought. Brendan Sinone, really as you, <laughs> he's a, he's a little prima donna that one. Brendan, as you massage your sinus area from the complete just dismembering that Dane did to every <laughs> single other person on the panel, who is your dark horse for who's going to have the best five games coming up? Who's going to be the MVP of the back half? Shaheem Brown is poised to keep getting better and better. And Look he's ready Dane, to this pumping. He likes Shaheem Bridget. Uh, Dane's a fan of all the second year guys. Yeah, Shaheem Brown's getting better and better. Start to unseat Akeem Dent. And uh, it seems to be training. He's had a good day of practice today. Uh, he, he's, he's getting better. I like Shaheem Brown, like direction he's going. Anybody else? Because I think that's a good one. Chris, I'm going to give you. Who's your MVP at the back half? Dark Micah Pittman, because he's had good moments, but I think he'll be a more consistent player in the back half of the season. I think he'll also be used in a more variety of ways offensively. You get directions good, man. Up the tempo on that answer. That was good. That was good. That was a good uh, two-minute drill right there. Adam and Kev. I, Chris did so good that you guys get to talk, too. Adam, Kev, what do you guys think? Uh, Jordan Travis. MVP of the back half. A lot of people would argue he's the MVP of the first half. That's not a bad answer. How, how come I got stuck having to do a dark horse? Yes, I don't want to how come it. I had to get stuck doing a dark horse MVP and everyone else is getting to do regular? Because MVP. one, this is a kid's show, and two, we don't have three hours, son. We don't, brother. We got to go. Kevin, what about you? Dark horse or white horse? Just I'm going to give you way more options than Brennan. Whatever horse you want. Who's the MVP of the back half? Florida State is facing several mobile quarterbacks. It will be mm-hmm. Kalen Deloach's job to shut them down. Halo. And I think he's up for the task. Nice, dude. And you had like analytical stuff. Okay, we're going to play a little Buyer Sinone, sponsored Ooh. by the Turner Group out of Orlando, Florida. Hey, Turner Group. Brendan, do you want to give a, a, a nice shout out to them? Yeah, shout out to Colin Turner and Amy Turner of the Turner Group. Uh, don't, don't Sinone on buying or selling a home just because it's a daunting process. Uh, they are the best in the business, hands-on, enthusiastic FSU fans who want to work with you to buy or sell a house. They'll make it easy. Uh, you can reach out to Colin at 407-403-8546. Email him at getstarted at theturnergroup.com or just go to Google, type in the Turner Group, bunch of five-star reviews there. Chris, how much better have I gotten at this since the first yeah, time I was did just going to say, you're that in was... mid-season form, my, my man. Not that was a great mid-season buddy. form, though, like four-game form. Looking like a trillion bucks, and you just murdered it right on the back half. you got to know when to quit when you're ahead. Zach, Byer Sinone, <laughs> FSU goes four and one or better over these last five games. Four and one or better, Zach. Uh, muted. I, I, I recognize that I was muted after we repeated it. Um. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna Sinone that. Uh, I think it's more likely that it go three and two than four and one or better. Okay. Anybody else? Adam, I'm gonna give you a chance for that. Buy or Sinone four and one or better for the Florida State Seminoles in these next five. I'm uh, going to Sinone. Adam is going to Sinone. Will anybody buy this? Bye, Dane bye. and bye. Brendan. Okay. Is it an optimist. Yeah, especially if you're Zach. The uh, better part makes me uncomfortable. 
going to put for four and one, but or better makes me uncomfortable. Oh. Okay, well, well, four and one would still count as a buy on this as well. It's four and one or better. But we think Dane, Brendan, and kind of Chris, half a Chris, thanks. Oh, and Brett. And Brett. Oh, oh. Brett, go. we're about to get to recruiting. Talk to me. What do you think? What do you think makes you confident that they could do four and one? That's a tough stretch, man. I just think, it, I just oh, don't yeah. think any of the teams they're going to play coming up are as good as the teams they played in this last three game stretch. And they were competitive with all three of those teams and they didn't really execute in all three games at the highest level. So if they could just get close to executing at a high level against the opponents coming up, I think they can win at least four of those five games. I like that too. They left some points on the board and they're not as healthy. Now I don't want to get too ahead because I am going to ask for everybody's back five prediction. So I don't want to get too into it, but I just want to give you a little taste on the buyers to know. Brendan, you're full of you're full of energy and life. By or Sinone, a seven and five record this year is good enough to earn Mike Norvell an extension. I will buy that. I don't think it's a hearty long term extension, uh, but I do think it'll be a, another year add on to the one that was already added on last year. So you're just kind of expanding it and kicking the can down the road a little bit and staying on track. So bye. Amendment to that. Byersonone plus a seven and five record with a loss to Miami and Florida is good enough to earn Mike Norvell an extension. <laughs> I'm looking at Chris to see if he can give me any kind of like body language to help tip off the answer. No, dude, he's, he's stoic right now. <laughs> stoic. He's an Easter Island head. That's uh, a right there. Yeah. Your own kid. Uh, I'll go by still, but I think the, nice. the language of that contract would be very easy to uh, get out of some things. <laughs> I think it'd be a lukewarm a lukewarm buy and a lukewarm contract extension. Incorrect. <laughs> what do you think of Chris buyer Sinone, that same question, both scenarios, seven and five and then seven and five, but your two losses are to your rivals. I'm not convinced seven and five gets them an extension either, which way, um, you know, I could see the additional year for recruiting purposes and all that goes with that seven and five with Florida, Miami being the losses. Not that people just, no, this fan, this fan base would riot. I just, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's sort of a, you got to prove something more. You can't, you got to win in state rival games. It's just so important. You do that consistently. Fans are pretty happy. You win a lot of games. In addition to that, they really, really like you. You can't lose a shitty Miami team. Sorry. I know we've been <laughs> No, don't. Get you. Florida is trying to allow teams to average five to 600 yards per game. So like, come on, you're an offensive coach. You got to go out there and win that game. I just, I'm with you too. I, I think you can't lose them both. The quality of those two teams this year, especially from what I've seen from Mario Cristobal's in-game management. <laughs> well, it's what Chris said. Anyway, moving on. Zach Blostein. Buyer Sunone, there will be, let's see, only two positions or less of coaching turnover on FSU's coaching staff this season. So Mike Norvell will change either two, two, one, or none. Buyer Sunone. Um, so if I you would, think more than that, that's a Sunone. Because yeah, I know I Brendan makes this would, confusing. I'm going to help you out because no, I'm a nice I get, guy. I get it. I get it. Uh, I would buy that. I think... Um, I think it's likely it's it's probably one or two changes. That's probably where I'd put my money. Um, I don't think they, that Norvell has the history or track record of doing or of, of completely shaking up shafts or staffs like that. Mm-hmm. Um, kid show. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> shaking up staffs like that in the past. Um, 
you know, usually when, when guys would move on from their staffs, it would be uh, to, to move on to, to, to different, you know, coaching positions. So I don't think um, it'll be more than two. Minute 50 is always where it gets weird. Okay. Anybody else think that there's going to be more to like, like three maybe switches in the off season, Brendan, you do. Why do you think that? I think we've seen so much continuity and consistency in the staff. That's by design for Mike, but also that's rare to see that this long a period. You'd be talking now uh, going into to four off seasons with the same staff. Like that just, we don't really see that there's some contract extensions or contracts ending, excuse me, some that are due for extensions. Uh, and I also think we will see Florida state probably not to get ahead of myself too much, but like win eight or nine games this year still is like on the table. It's still reasonable. Uh, I think if Mike Norvell has a little bit more job security, you know, one of the reasons why he didn't move on from say someone like Ron Dugans last year was he couldn't attract a clear cut upgrade. Uh, now Ron's ended up, proving himself right this year. And then that's worked out fairly well for everyone involved. But if you, uh, there's other position groups that you want to uh, improve on a little bit, then you might have a little bit more cachet to do so both from a security standpoint, uh, from a sales pitch to another coach. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I just think the staff is overdue for some changes by natural, like it's, it's time. Adam, are you raising your hand like you want to talk? Because yeah. I actually have a, I have yeah. a cracker jack of a question for you. But if you talk now, you're abdicating your chance to answer it. So no, I'll, I'll talk quick. Then I want to answer that cracker jack. Mike Alford's <laughs> shown that he's going to spend money on this football program. If Mike Norvell gets to eight or nine wins, he's got to realize it's time to put the pedal to the metal and take this team to the next to the next level. That's a good segue because now we're going to prognosticate if he will. Adam Brown, Byer Sinone, Mike Norvell has shown. The intangibles, the aptitude in the complete package. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was already in the question. <laughs> At FSU, to be a championship-level coach here, Bayer Sinone. Sinone. Why? I don't think he's shown the intangibles, personally. Um, this is a team with consistency issues in-game. It's a team that comes out of the halftime and struggles cons- you know, all the time. That's been, a, that's been a habit of his back to mem- his Memphis days. I don't see, I don't see the the recruiting acumen of his staff that's going to get the talent in here that that they really truly need to take the next step. Um, and I'll be frank and honest. I mean, I said when Mike got here, and it's not a knock on Mike. It, this was just such a big job to fix mm-hmm. that I never thought he made it really really made it past year five, and I still kind of think that. Anybody disagree? Because I think those are very salient points. Brett, go ahead. I don't I don't fully disagree, but I think in ways he has shown intangibles. Like I think they've shown that they're very good at developing. I think they've shown that they're very good at scouting. I mean, every mostly every kid that they've brought in, especially some of the freshmen and some of these sophomores that they have, and the guys they've gotten in the transfer portal, most of those guys are hits. Yep. And they've also been able to show you know, the, just the culture building and all those kids believe. I think that's what they always say. And I think you see it in those guys that they do believe and they keep fighting. So, but like AB mentioned earlier, the adjustments and stuff like that, the in-game coaching and the recruiting part, I think they have pretty good, almost elite development, but you need elite, elite players with elite development to have a championship level program. 
Ceiling's questionable. I'm with you. Does anybody else fully disagree with Adam? That was a nice... I'd say you probably like 65% disagreed with him, Brad. Anybody else fully disagree with Adam? Because I think both of our guys are making great points, which is a hallmark of the best Florida State coverage team in the biz. Kevin, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I think Mike Norvell has, has the potential to bring you to kind of a top 15 team consistently. I think that... He's going to recruit well enough to do that. I think that they're about as good at scouting teams, like like Brett was saying, as anybody in the country, and consistently bringing in kids that are that are kind of under recruited, under ranked. Um, I don't think that. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be able to get you to be a top five team because you you've got to go against the Georgias and Alabamas that that play the game differently. Uh, but I also think being a top fifteen team especially with the expanded playoff, that means that Florida State's got a good chance of making the playoff every year. And if Mike Norvell can hold on to that point, I think that might be enough for Florida State fans. Uh, but but we'll see. Chris, you know yeah. this fan base better than anybody else. Is a top 15 consistent team good enough for Florida State fans if that's kind of like your overall ceiling? I think in the current climate of college athletics, it might have to be. Um, okay. I mean, FSU's improved in the NIL department and things of that sort that's required, but the machine isn't the same here as it is at Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, the types that are consistently going to be at that top tier and have been now for several years in a row. FSU's hope is to get into that second tier, have some luck, get their good matchups, see where it takes you. I think Mike can get them to that level. Um, I do think the improvement has to be being a little bit more ruthless, and that goes with everything, recruiting, the way you handle your coaching staff, the ideas of what you do as a coach, what you do as a scheme, defensively, offensively, um, and Johnny and Joe's. You just you got to get dudes to the door that can help you be a better football team. Development's a great thing. Scouting's a great thing, and they're good at that. At the end of the day, you still got to win recruiting battles for guys that are kind of no-doubters that are going to go to places and make those teams immensely better, and that's yeah. an area where FSU has to take the next step. But FSU had to become a better, more stabilized, capable winning program to even get in that discussion. And we're now there. They are there. And, you know, Hakeem Williams is an example of getting a dude of that sort. But you got to accumulate more of those types. That's a good point. And we didn't even mention the teams in Texas or USC or things like that. Like, are there any, like how many coaches in the country could get Florida State to a top five level in team talent? But if Mike Norvell can get you to a top 10 level talented team, top 15, that's where that coaching becomes a difference. So it just depends. Do Florida State fans have the appetite for that? Or will they be looking for something better? Now, if anybody else, if anybody wants to add anything, let me know, because I want to move on to a little bit of recruiting talk, because obviously this ties in with a lot of what you guys are saying. And then we'll get to the final five predictions. Who wants to talk first on this point, which I actually think was very illuminating. Brendan, you raised your hand in a very Downton Abbey way. Go ahead. Uh, that was the water boy reference of how I raised my hand uh, for the, <laughs> the podcast audience. Uh, so with FSU's buy-in from the fan base and boosters, Chris mentioned NIL. And I think it's an interesting talking point because and this maybe we'll go into what we're about to talk about with recruiting. But mm -hmm. when FSU was last a top five program, not that long ago, uh, a little bit uh, less than a decade ago, Chris can attest to this well. The booster and fundraising branch was not in the position to capitalize on it anywhere near the way it should have. And really that was a 
a failed opportunity and FSU is paying for that in many ways. Now, what gives me some hope for Florida state, if you keep making these incremental growths, that there's still a lot of meat on the bone from kid show from getting better from a fan fundraising standpoint, just look at this like, anecdote, like their Marius Mims saga, six, six, seven months ago, uh, rising spear gained so much notoriety and subscribers just from interest in the program. And there being some semblance of like, Oh, we could be a part of something cool. And right. we put our money into it and it'll return back uh, emotionally. There'll be an, an emotional ROI. And so I think if you just keep getting gradually better, like Florida state will maybe not be able to compete with those top five programs, but you the the gap will close quicker than I think maybe we're all thinking it will be right now, uh, just because there is still so much room for growth with a young program, relatively, uh, and a young booster core too. Okay, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, I, I do think the infrastructure is a lot better than it was when the team was a lot better, which is a very interesting dichotomy there. Zach and Dane, our two young boys. Let's talk recruiting, Zach. There was a really over the summer, it felt like there was a lull in Florida State's recruiting. The perception of the program was not in a good place, for lack of a better term. That 4-0 start really changed some things. You started getting – you had a great week where you got the commitments of West Coast four-star linebacker. Uh, Blake, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name Nicholson. right now? There we go, Nicholson. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great radio. Blake Nicholson. Sorry, Blake and fam. Blake Nicholson and Hikeem Williams, same week. Two tough pulls, West Coast linebacker and a highly coveted wide receiver from South Florida. And then you went 0-3 after that, Zach. First you, then Dane, because you guys talked to the recruits. What's your perception where Florida State is sitting right now in the recruiting landscape? Is that hot start completely faded, or what's the deal? I think we're at a crossroads right now. I think this can go either of two ways. I think um, the you know the next you know rest of the stretch of the season is going to determine how this thing shapes out. If FSU wins four or five games over this stretch, they're going to be a good shot to finish for some some of those really highly um, touted uh, remaining targets that they have on the board, like a Ruben Bain, Damari Brown, um, some of the other guys that 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 they're targeting that were even on campus uh, over the weekend against Clemson. Um, you know, if it goes the other way, then I think we're going to see a sputter. Um, I don't think you're going to land any of those those guys that you really want. Um, you might even lose some guys uh, in the current class. You have some really talented prospects committed in your 2023 class and even in 2024. I think this affects 23 much more than 24. Um, but, yeah, I, you got to win. Um, you, you, they, they've got to move on from this three-game stretch and put it past them and go and, and, and finish the season strong. And I think if they do that, then recruiting will be just fine. Um, it'll be right on par with kind of what we expected um, before the season and maybe even a little bit better, um, considering you, you got a guy that I don't think many expected you to get in, in Hakeem Williams. And no. you kind of shock Oregon um, by taking Blake Nicholson out of the West Coast and, and, and getting him locked in over here. So... Um, you know, I'll kick it to Dane, but right now I think you're at a crossroads and, and it can go either of two ways, but um, the response over the next five games will be vital and very important. Hold up, Dane. One second. Zach, you have to leave. Give me your final five prediction before you leave. I want to get you on the record. Am I predicting like the... win loss, okay. win loss out of the next five? What's Florida State going to do? I think you win Georgia Tech. Um, I That's think one. 
Yeah, I think you lose Syracuse. Um, I think you what's next? Is it Miami? Miami's before yes. Syracuse. <clears throat> Whatever, oh. dude. You're fine. What are we gonna beat yeah. Miami or lose to him? I think you beat Miami. I think you beat Louisiana, and I think you lose to Florida. Three and two, seven and five. Lost to Syracuse. Ooh, orange and blue. Dominating Florida State. All right, Zach, get out of here. I just want to get you on record. So when you're wrong, hopefully uh, people can make fun of you. Love you, buddy. Love you. Dane. Yeah. Talk about recruiting. <laughs> yeah, I think um I think you definitely you started better than you expected to. Like uh like you were talking about the summer and how there was a lot of stalling, it seems. There wasn't much momentum at all. You needed the season to get here. We said that a lot and it did. And you start four and you, I think, exceed expectations by getting a guy like Hakeem Williams yep. and Blake Nicholson, really. Um, and at this point, it's just it's better than you thought it'd be. You're not shooting for much more volume in the class. You're really only kind of, I guess, headhunting like like the Ruben Bain, like a DJ Chester, um, Damari Brown, maybe other guys committed elsewhere. I don't know. Um, but you definitely have to continue to see, exceed expectations to get those kind of guys. If you don't, I don't think you lose the class you have, but um, but you don't continue building those impressive pieces. And then the guys you still want in this class outside of those guys, you, I, I don't think it matters a whole lot how you finish unless it's terrible um, to get those guys. Okay. I agree. And I don't know if the scenario that Zach laid out, I don't know if it's good enough to materially improve the class too much. I think it'll kind of be a wash. I think you'd lose some and I think you'd, you'd gain some. And I think you kind of end up where you are right now. Now I want to get to the final five predictions, Adam, you raised your hand. Was it a Philadelphia Philly related thing? Or would you like to say <laughs> no. something? No, I was just going to say, I feel like that get, you know, if you land a Bain, you land a Damari Brown, those guys, that's going to be great but it still feels like this class is going to be defined by what you go into the transfer portal and do, yes. right? I mean, you're still going to need, be, need to go get offensive line help in the portal, potentially a quarterback in the portal, defensive line help. Um, there was, a, there was a, a good thread on the message board the other day about, you know, what, what are you going to go get in the portal, you know, kind of numbers-wise. There's a lot of areas for this team for next year that are still going to need to be helped through the portal and if he stopped the day and went and got 10 guys out of the portal, uh, I mean, I think you're doing pretty well. But, yeah, I mean, the next four games or next five games are going to be not just for how you finish this class, but how you go into the portal and, and are able to do. And that's going to propel you in next season. Portal cachet, which you've actually built up rather nicely. Yeah. All right. I want to get to the final five. Brett, your final, your prediction for the final five games of the season, and you can you can expound on it a little bit, maybe what you think the toughest game will be, potential trap game, stuff like that. But what do you think? Florida State goes blank in the next five. All right, this might sound dumb, but I think... I bet it won't. I bet it'll be really smart. <laughs> I think I think they might go 5-0 and oh because... Yeah, baby. <laughs> Miami and... I just don't think Miami and Florida are very good. Um, and... I, what is Syracuse's best win this year? I mean, is it Purdue? I don't think NC State with the quarterback they had last week is that great of a win. And their schedule coming up is at Clemson, against Notre Dame, at Pitt, and then Florida State. So great after that three-game stretch they're about to get, and then you play Florida State, I mean, I just don't think that's – I think that's a winnable game. And like I said, I just don't think Florida and – Miami are that great, but I mean, Georgia Tech, you got to take care of coming out of the bye week. I think that's the potential 
to be the trap game, especially the way they've played since uh, Collins got fired there. I guess they just hated him. I don't know. Yeah, but. little little Hobbit guy. Not not really. No, they didn't like him very much. Um, I like that, and I think I think your reasoning. And it's not like Florida State hasn't shown the ability to cluster together some wins this year against tougher teams. Dane, record for the final five. Yeah, I think it's unlikely you go five and zero oh because that's wow really difficult Shots to fired, do. Huh? Okay, <laughs> a little dissension amongst the ranks. Go ahead. They, but they but, but I think start. So. Yeah. <laughs> True, true. Um, I think four and one is most likely, though. I think you're going to be favored in all five of the last games, unless you have really bad injury luck. You continue to have that. You're going to be favored in all of the rest, the last five. Um, so saying you're five and zero oh is not far fetched at all. It just means you're meeting expectations. But um, but I think that's really tough to do, especially because you're not favored by a ton in these games. I mean, Georgia Tech, you should definitely beat Louisiana. You should definitely beat. Um, but Syracuse, that's going to be a really tight game. You're playing in the dome. And then two rivalry games against teams that are worse than you, but not teams that can't beat you. So I like yeah. that. Kevin, final five prediction. Well, I wanted to mention that if you calculate all the SP plus uh, probabilities, oh, hit me with the stats, SP, baby. SP plus predicts Florida State at 7.03 expected wins, a 36% chance of seven wins a 26% chance of eight wins and a 7% chance of nine wins um, with eight wins being slightly ahead of six wins at 22%. So, um, so all that to say is SP plus is predicting seven wins. I think SP plus is a little bit off mostly because it gave Syracuse a ton of credit for beating an NC state team that it doesn't realize isn't as good as it's been the rest of the season. Um, I also think it's been slow to adjust to its insanely high um, opinion of Miami at the beginning of the season. Uh, so Miami's consistently been dropping an SP plus, and I predict it to continue dropping. I don't think you I don't hate think Miami. It's I love it. I know. I know you're being analytical right now, but like subjectively, you hate them, dude. I know you do. So <laughs> I would put my expected wins <laughs> sidestepping me like a pro. God, it is election season. Keep going. I would put expected wins closer to seven point five. So I can't blame I can't fault anybody that's three and two, four and one. I personally think Florida State's gonna go four and one. I think they're a little underrated in SP plus. I think that uh you've had some luck when it comes down to scoring at the right time in the right place. You're consistently one of the best teams in the country at, at moving the football, and I think you'll be able to get the third and fourth and shorts that you weren't able to get against Clemson and NC State against the rest of your schedule. I like it. Dane, did you want to say something? You had your hand up. Yeah, well, Kevin was making really good points about Syracuse being overrated based on that NC State game um, and Miami being overrated based on preseason expectation. But FSU, I mean, I expect them to be better uh, in the final stretch because they should be healthier. Um, Coming out of the bye week, you have key contributors back. Um, So I think they should be better. That's a huge part of that. Like FSU is whatever they are in SP+, I think that should be higher too. A lot of noise in the system. I like it, boys. All right, Adam. Now the the nerds have talked about the numbers. Let me t- talk to me, Coach. What do you see on the field? Give me the final five. After uh, these dorks used all their fancy numbering. I'm gonna pass to somebody else. Um, no, yeah, that's I, not how this. Two works. and three. That's what AB's saying. No, Go ahead, oh Adam. Hey, two and three. That's tell me what ridiculous. you see. Tell me uh, what you see, Coach. I I don't. I mean, I think they're gonna beat Georgia Tech. 
Miami should get Restrepo and Jacoby George back for that game at Miami. I don't have a lot of confidence. Um, we can't cover anybody. They, they they cannot defend on the back end. Uh, you're going up L? against it. You're going up against a good. Yeah, I'm going to call it an L. You're going up against a good quarterback, a potentially good wide receiver core that's getting healthy. Uh, I think that's a problem for them. Uh, Syracuse. I don't. They. Yeah, I don't. I don't see them beating Syracuse up there. I think that's a tight loss, and then I think you win out the last two. Three and two. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I mean, with the cover stuff. It's, if it if it doesn't get ironed out, man, it would be. It's got to get better before I have any confidence in this team. The, the reason that, I have a little bit more confidence is because I think you can stay too high, and with Love it back, and with Verse a little bit healthier, I think, and and a healthy Cooper back, hopefully, you can you can get away with that a little bit more. Personally, we will see. We will see. Slight dissension in the triple option crew. I like I mean, it. Louisville was lighting her ass up until they lost all their wide receivers. So, <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> we'll talk about it on further episodes, boys. Keep your pants on, Brendan. Final five prediction from you. Uh, so I did my nerdy math formula and came up with 3.3 wins. Repeating, uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to forget about the line. Leroy the Jenkins, yep, keep going. <laughs> uh, but I think FSU, I'm going to go against math and my nerdiness and go with my my heart and, and my intuition, my head. Uh, and I think FSU is going to go four and one to wrap things up. Syracuse honestly scares me the most of any of the teams remaining. I know saying that at the beginning of the year would have sounded crazy, but uh, I think you are going to be favored in every single one of those games. I think with the poor injury luck you've had at the beginning of the season, theoretically that should get better in the back half of the year. You think that would flip a little bit. And even just uh, some of the, like the stat Dane alluded to earlier, where your top 25 team in yards per play, both offensively and defensively. And to, to have three losses to just four wins, like, there's been some bad luck for Florida State in this first half of the season. I think if that kind of progression to the mean or progression to the mean a little bit there, I think you win one, maybe that you get a little bit of luck or something like that. So I'm going to go four, four and one uh, for FSU to end the year. Chris, what about you, Papa Bear? It's all As about I kind of gave away during the buyers and brought to you by the Turner Group portion of the show. Uh, Shout out, you. Colin, yeah, I, you. I feel pretty good about four and one. I do worry about FSU having a clunker. Um, I, I think I made that exact comment maybe to Brendan today or somebody I was talking to just about the fact that I do worry about that kind of happening. I know to some degree that happened with NC State. Um, I get the Miami concern with the ability to pass the ball, but I think Miami likes collecting yards more than FSU when it's turning into <laughs> less points. Like it, It's just impressive how those two teams can do that this year, collect a ton of yards and not always get a whole lot of points out of it. Um Syracuse is really good at being good at what they are. I, I, I am interested in watching them against Clemson and seeing how much they would kind of step up to the line and uh, make it interesting. That would probably change my opinion. They're probably the one I feel least confident about going into. But FSU has a shot against every single opponent that remains. FSU's offense is very capable of being very good. And Four that, and one that's going to be record? true. Four and one on the record. Four and one on the record. Yes. On the record. Let the record speak. Anybody else want to say anything before I wrap this up? No. Wow. <laughs> we did it. Speechless with these ponies. Well, Go guys. Phillies. 
Yeah, go Phil K. Nobody cares. Um, FSU guys, all ball exhibition on Saturday. At oh, one God. Get State. it in. Get your stuff. Yeah, this is the time. <laughs> Plug anything. Any other stuff on the side? I did it. That wasn't me. I didn't mute him. That wasn't me. No. Listen. <laughs> I've got a legitimate question for everybody. Yes. Is yes. there anybody? Is there anybody that we haven't seen yet that we think is a contributor in the second half of the season? Brandon has an answer. Ooh, I said yeah. that we weren't going to talk about Rodney Hill anymore after today. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked a ton about him the last two weeks and it hasn't uh, been there. I, I am becoming, the last two weeks, increasingly bullish and maybe foolishly optimistic on Julian Armella. He just, he's impressed me so much in one-on-ones against older players. It's no longer freshmen that he's holding his own with. It's older guys that he's winning against consistently. Uh, what that would look like in, in live action in a game, I don't know. But, like, there is something there. Uh, if you think <laughs> Jason Turnitine is making similar mistakes as freshman as a freshman is, uh, I'm kind of open to the idea of maybe throwing Julian into the fire and taking the good and the bad that comes with it. Now that would be an Would you only play him four games? Has he already played two games? This uh, year, special teams. He's played in at least one. He played Duquesne and probably BC. Yeah. No, I don't care about. I don't care that much about the red shirt. I mean, if if he's as good as we think he is, like you get him for four years, you get him for four years, and. Yeah. I think it's the one position you might worry about that though. Good answer. Good answer. Thanks. But yeah, yeah. Look at Go. that. Nice, nice question, Adam. Right at the at the eleventh hour. Um. Well, guys, we've talked about it all. We hit it all. We kept a podcast with like eight dudes pretty much on the rails the entire time. So uh golf clap for the whole team for that. But listen. Yeah, that was good. That was a very respectful golf clap. Definitely not the waste <laughs> management open there. That was, that was like 1890s England golf clap. Anyway, for Kevin Little, for Brennan Sinone, for Dane Draper, for Christopher Nee, for the departed Zach Blostein, for Coach Adam Brown, for Brett Nevitt. I am your host for this show, Trey Roland. Thank you guys for everything that you do. Continue to be the best Florida State media consuming fans that you can be. We love our Knowles 24-7 subscribers, on the bench listeners, YouTube subscribers, blah, 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 blah. We love all you guys. You're the best. Continue to stay with us during the bye week and after the bye week for the most comprehensive and unique and best coverage on the entire beat. I love you all. Never stop chopping. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcast or wherever else. Yes, Whatever. Sticking, Tell sticking us we're good. Landing? I want to know I'm good. I don't yeah, Definitely. For humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.